Our scripture this morning is Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. This is the word of the Lord. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. <clears throat> Thanks, Christina. Thanks, Colton. Uh, I've always heard that the San Diego Zoo is like the best zoo to go to in the United States. Um, so let's kind of pretend that we are on a trip. You go to the San Diego Zoo. And as you go in, imagine that maybe off to the side, they have a little petting zoo. And you can go over there and they have some sheep over there and you can give them some food or whatever. And you, you reach out your hand and this little lamb comes over and, uh, and, and the little lamb licks your hand. It's kind of sweet, a little gross, but mostly sweet, right? So you, you keep on going uh, and you're having a good time at the zoo. Uh, later on, you get to one of those, uh, you ever been to the zoo and you have those kind of like those cave-like exhibits? Like it looks like you're going into a cave, but it's really kind of you go in there and they kind of a glass wall where you can look at animals. So anyway, imagine you go into one of these caves um, and uh, you're not really sure what's in there, but you go in there and as you go in, it's nice because like, it's, it's been hot outside and you go into this cave and it's a, it's a bit cooler. Um, and then you notice something weird. You don't see anybody in there and you don't see any animals. And then you notice that there's uh, broken glass on the floor. And, and right as you notice there's broken glass on the floor, you hear the door slam shut. And then as the door slams shut, you hear somebody on the outside. They say, no, somebody just went in there. And you realize they're talking about you. And so you're not really sure what's going on. You don't know what to think. And then you hear some, some ruckus going on. And then you see it. It's a lion. And it seems aggressive. And it seems angry. And just as soon as you notice it, it notices you. And when it sees you, it stops. And it pauses and it begins to creep slowly towards you, kind of like it's, it's crouching, like it's about to, to pounce on its prey, right? And you're thinking, I I'm, a, I'm about to die. I mean, this is going to be it. Like, you don't, you know, you don't wrestle a lion and win. And so it's getting closer to you, and you're thinking about, you know, do I play dead? Do I act big? Do I, whatever, you're kind of, you know, your mind's going crazy. And you're saying, no, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to die by a lion. And it's getting closer and closer and closer, so close that its mane actually begins to touch your, your body. And then as it gets close, and as you basically have, have accepted death, suddenly, but also softly, this lion licks your hand. And then it sits down right in front of you, almost as if it's going to protect you. Now, which lick had more significance to you? The lick of the lamb? coming inside, or the lick of the lion? It'd be the lion, right? The, the, the idea that the lion 
was sweet to you would, would, would be amazing, right? So the reason I bring all this up is that uh, it is good and right for us to think of Jesus as the Lamb of God who died for our sins. But we need to remember that Jesus is also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And that Jesus is a figure to be feared and reverenced like you would a lion. And, and one thing that should inspire awe and wonder in us is that Jesus, who is like a lion to be feared and reverenced, became like a lamb for us. And so I would submit that the more that we understand Jesus as a lion, the more we will appreciate Jesus as the lamb. So, so in our passage today, uh, we see, we're introduced to this character, the commander of the army of the Lord. And I want to consider two questions about this passage. One, who is this person that Joshua meets that we just read about? And two, what's his message? So first, who is this person that Joshua met? Well, on the surface, that's a pretty easy question to answer. Uh, he gives a straightforward answer in verse 14. He says, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now, it would make sense to assume that this is an angel. Like we often see angels portrayed in this way. The, the, the archangel Michael, uh, we read about in the book of Daniel, is like a, like a commander of an army. Uh, angels are often portrayed in scripture as warriors. But I think there's a couple of clues in our text that lead me to think that this person might be more than just an angel. For example, after this person introduces himself as the commander of the Lord's army, we read that Joshua fell on his face and worshiped. And this, this, this man with his sword drawn, the commander of the Lord's army, did not stop him from doing that. And that's significant. And it's significant. You'll, you'll, you know why it's significant? If you turn to Revelation 22, it's the last chapter of the Bible. So go ahead and turn there to Revelation 22. We're going to be doing a little bit more flipping back and forth than usual today. But in Revelation 22, verse 8 and 9, the apostle John encounters an angel. And here's what happens. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 8 and 9, we read this. It says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And so when John fell down to worship the angel, the angel was like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. I'm one of you. I'm a fellow servant. Get up. Worship God, not me. But in Joshua chapter 5, this person not only doesn't correct Joshua, from, from worshiping. He doesn't say, no, 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 stop. He didn't do that. He actually doubles down on what Joshua is doing. We read this in verse 14 and 15. So Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And he doesn't say, get up, don't worship me. He says this, and the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. so. So not only does he not tell Joshua to get up and to stop worshiping him, he tells him to take off his shoes because he's on holy ground. 
And so some of you who have, have grown up in the church or have church experience, that should remind you of something. Take off your shoes because the place you're standing is holy ground. You should probably all be thinking about Moses and the burning bush, right? Okay, so turn to Exodus 3. We're going to do a lot of turn around today. Exodus 3 is where we read about this uh, encounter that Moses has with the burning bush. And here's the question. As we read uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse about 1 through 6 is what we're going to look at. Here's my question to you as you read Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Who's speaking to Moses? Is it the angel of the Lord or is it God? Which one is it? Is it the angel of the Lord speaking to Moses or is it God? All right, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Here it is. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. So who appeared to him? The angel of the Lord. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. So who called to him? It was God. He said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. So was it the angel of the Lord or was it God? Yes, the, the angel of the Lord is God here. That, I mean, that's who, that's who we're, we're, we're looking at. So in our passage in Joshua 5, Joshua speaks to a man with his sword drawn, and he says that he is the commander of the army of the Lord. And I am persuaded, along with Tim Keller and many others, that this commander of the army of the Lord is God incarnate, Jesus himself. This is who Joshua has encountered here. And we usually don't picture Jesus as a warrior, but we should. The scriptures describe him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, you don't have to turn here, but in Genesis 49, uh, Jacob is blessing his sons. And when he blesses Judah, he, 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 he uh, refers to him as a lion's cub. And he says, the scepter will never depart from, from him. In other words, the blessing that Jacob gave to Judah was saying that he would be like a lion and that he would be king over his people. And in Revelation 5, we see that Jesus is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is a king. And, and by the way, in case you don't know, I'm sure all you do know, but the word Christ means king. So Jesus is king. When you hear Jesus Christ, you should think King Jesus. And the scriptures describe him as Jesus. And it's funny, Colt mentioned this earlier, the lion king. All right, I know it's a Disney movie and all that, but this, the, what, the way he's described here is this lion king. And then the Chronicles of Narnia, if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis, they have Aslan. He's the lion king. It's, it's an it's a analogy that makes sense from the scriptures. And the idea in both of those stories is that this was a very good king that ought not be messed with or taken lightly. And C.S. Lewis captures this idea well in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. You've probably heard this before, but uh, Susan is speaking with Mr. Beaver about Aslan. He's the, the, the lion king. And it goes like this. It says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel ner rather nervous about meeting an, a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. 
Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And so we need to think of Jesus as more than just the lamb who was slain. We need to know him who, who is a king and who's like a lion. And if you know him to be like a lion, then the fact that he became like a lamb will take on new meaning for you. Like, so for example, if I got beat up by a guy like twice my size, right? I mean, let's say I'm, I get in a fight with, you know, an NFL football player and he beats me up. Like, that's to be expected, right? That's what's Kevin going to do. But let's say I get beat up by a five-year-old. If I get beat up by a five-year-old, you know, I'll, I'll let him win, right? So he didn't take me. Five-year-olds don't, don't take grown men. You, you would know that I let him take me. And so, and so there's this idea that we need to understand that the lion of the tribe of Judah, who could take out all his adversaries with one word, became like a lamb. And, and don't think that the lion days of Jesus are over and now that he's all lamb. Like on this side of the cross, it's all lamb and no more lion. You know, we're, we're familiar with the picture of Jesus on the cross, but we also need to be familiar with the picture of Jesus on the white horse. Turn back to Revelation chapter 19. And here's a picture, and I think this picture is going to help us to appreciate Jesus on the cross more. So Revelation chapter 19 I'm going to start at verse 11. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then John writes, I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. Obviously, we're talking about Jesus here. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Seems like the general, the commander of the Lord's army, is out front. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of King. Lord of Lords. And I'm persuaded that this is the person who Joshua encountered. This is the one we read about with the armies of heaven riding behind him. It's the one with the sword drawn in Joshua 5. This is Jesus, the king that Joshua has encountered. And when one encounters Jesus, the king, you don't simply ask whose side he is on. You only hope to be on his side. So, so let's consider the message that we get from Joshua. So what is the message that we have here? Now, it is interesting that Joshua asks if this man standing with his sword drawn is for them or for their adversaries. It'd be a normal question in a, in a, in a normal scenario uh, because, look, they're about to go to war uh, and they're going to be fighting folks. And so he's wondering who this person with their sword drawn, whose side are they on? But the answer is interesting. He doesn't go on to explain it. His answer is simply this. He says, no, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. So, so you wouldn't expect Moses to go up to the burning bush and ask God whose side he is on. And, and you wouldn't expect someone to go up to Jesus riding on the white horse with the armies of heaven behind him and ask whose side he's on. You would only hope 
to be on his side. You don't approach God and ask him to take a side. The way we should approach God is with reverence and awe. We should take our shoes off and, and, and bow down. And, and it's just fascinating that we have this encounter here that, that Joshua approaches God with, with a question and the response he gets is not an answer to his question, but a call to worship. And look, we, we all have, have a lot going on right now. And, and, and some of us are maybe in a season of peace. Some of us are in a season where we're struggling. Some of us have issues that are uh, really difficult, that are right in our face. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of us have questions for God. And I'm sure a lot of those questions are serious questions and, and thoughtful. But, but this week, whatever we have going on, this week, it is highly unlikely and, and almost certain that none of us have anything more important going on than what we're doing right now in this moment. Because right now in this moment, we are approaching our God to worship Him. We are the Lord's people on the Lord's day gathered together for the stated purpose of worshiping our God. This is a worship service. It's not just a time to hear talk or to sing, but we are collectively approaching our God together to offer worship to Him. And that's how we should approach Sundays. And there's probably nothing more important than we do at all during the week, no matter how much is pressing, than coming together collectively to offer our worship to God. But what we can tend to do is treat a worship service somewhat like we treat a restaurant. It could be like, you know, how, how'd you like yours today? You know, did you like the teaching? Was the teaching okay? Did you connect with it? Um, what about the music? Did they sing the songs you like? Did you not like them? What about the people there? You like those folks there? Is that your crowd? Is that your people? You know, it's a shameful thing to approach our God at a worship service with a consumer mentality. But we should approach our God instead like Joshua. Our, our, our questions should be altered from asking God these questions about these secondary issues and should be primarily attuned to worship our God to where we say with Joshua, what does my Lord say to his servant? Joshua said that and he received instructions. He said, Remove your sandals. This is holy ground. And we read that Joshua did so. And Joshua didn't ask. He didn't say, wait, uh, real quick. It's cool, but like, why? <laughs> I mean, why take my shoes off? What's the difference, shoes or no shoes? He didn't ask that question. He just did it. And he didn't argue like, well, isn't it more about where my heart is than where my shoes are? Isn't that really what's more important? He didn't ask that. He just simply did what God told him to do, and probably most often our best form of worship isn't just really feeling it during one of your favorite worship songs or, or being convicted or stirred up by a sermon, but simply doing what God says to do. And when we think about approaching our God, there should be a sense of wonder and awe that we would lay ourselves before him and offer ourselves as obedient servants to his will. And this is what we should be doing every Sunday is that, look, sometimes, like I know sometimes these sermons aren't great. I have some, some are good, some are not so good. I get it. Uh, sometimes we, the, the music might not be what you prefer. We might not hit the songs you like. 
look, it, we're, we're always gonna, gonna have some, some, good, good, uh, some, some good things and bad things, some things you could critique. But the idea here isn't just to nail a talk or nail the music. The idea is for all of us to collectively come together, recalibrate our hearts, and bow down worship and obedience to our God and collectively ask, what does my Lord say to his servant? And we all need that no matter what we're facing. Think about when, when Isaiah encountered God in Isaiah chapter 6. We, we, we don't read that, that Isaiah walked away from that encounter and said, you know, it was great seeing God. Let it be clear, it was neat seeing God. The angels were singing, holy, holy, holy. Ah, I don't know, that's just not my favorite song. I was thinking something a little bit more new. You know, I just don't really connect. It's just so much repetition in that holy, holy song. That, that's not what happened. Isaiah says, here I am, send me. So we're probably not at our best when we're holding the worship service to a higher standard than we are our own hearts at the worship service. And, and that isn't to say that, hey, we should never you know, critique the, the worship service, and if you're doing that, you're, you're not holy. Uh, I've received helpful feedback from my sermons and we've, from music and, and all that. Uh, and it's, honestly, even on that note, as far as feedback goes with sermons or music or whatever, I would describe it as, as it's rare and helpful. So, so I'm not addressing a problem here, but what I am saying is that what should be primary is worship, is that we come here, we're not consumers, we're collectively offering something together to God, and that we, can, we are all likely and contend to fall into a rut of being more of a consumer at a worship service than a worshiper. And our primary concern on Sunday morning should be to offer worship. And the audience on Sunday is not the congregation. It's God. The congregation is not an audience. We are collectively coming together to offer our worship. You know, we've talked about, if you've helped out with music, you've probably heard us say this before. The main instrument at, of, of music at Redeemer Church, it isn't the guitar or the piano or anything else. The main instrument at Redeemer Church, when we have music, is the congregation's voice. And, and that's how we even talk about the volume. We, we don't want it to be so loud that it will overtake the congregation's voice. And we, we don't want to be low enough to where we want to, we want to be loud enough to embolden the congregation. But the congregation's voice is key. And the reason for that is we are collectively offering something to our God and praises to God through songs. And look, I, I usually talk about going to church on Sundays. That's just the language I've used all my life. Others talk about going to worship on Sundays. I think that's better. I think that'll put your mind in a better place. When you go to church, you might have this idea of I'm going to consume a message and, and participate with songs. But when you go to a church on Sunday, you are going to worship. I think it's probably a better way to put it. And our goal in worship should be to bow ourselves in humble submission to our God. And it made sense that Joshua would ask this man whose side he was on, but once he realized who he was talking to, the question got pushed aside for worship, and we would do well to do the same. And there can be these secondary issues that we might run into, 
Like it could come up to, you know, we're in a political season. It could be about Republicans or Democrats and what these people are saying or what these people are doing. It could be about a particular brain of theology, Calvinist or Arminius, who's right, who's wrong. Um, you know, does God like the way our church does things or does he like the way another church does things? Uh, is God on my side with this spouse? I'm kind of in a fight with my spouse. Whose side has God on with this? You know, should we care more about good doctrine or social justice? I know both, but which one's more important? You know, are we doing this wrong here or there? What about how we did COVID and when that was going on? What's the right way to, to respond to that? And look, those aren't all like bad questions. And there's some questions that should be asked. And in some cases, there's a right answer and, and a wrong answer. And we should want to be right. The problem is, is that we so easily get distracted by secondary issues that we miss the primary issues, that here we are to bow ourselves down, to recalibrate our hearts, to worship Jesus. And these secondary issues can overshadow what's primary, the worship of our God. And you know, we read the, the Westminster Catechism, the first question, it's so good. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. If nothing else, when we gather on Sundays, we're just trying to remember that. Because it takes me a second to forget that. In closing, let me say this. Our God is a fierce lion. His eyes are like flames of fire. His clothes are stained with blood. He rides a white horse with the armies of heaven riding behind him. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. He is the commander of the Lord's army. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet, he became like a lamb who was led to slaughter. For our sake, 2,000 years ago, he did not fight back. But he died for us. He was put to death by men he could have destroyed with one word. That is our God. He is the commander of the Lord's army. And he loves his people. He loves them to fight for him. And he loves them enough to die for them. And we would do well to worship him. Because he is worship of all of our, he is worthy of our worship, our praise, and our complete allegiance to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for being a good and kind God because you are fierce. And as we read last week, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we do well to fear you and then worship you with awe and wonder when we see that you became like a lamb for us. And so would you recalibrate our hearts to worship you and have that as primary and have all other things put in their place in light of that. In Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.